You're listening to Massive Debate UK with Eric Swineblade. Hello and welcome to Massive Debate UK with me, Eric Swineblade. In the middle of the 2019 election, we're talking about Prince Andrew, the sugar tax, Nigel Farage's latest tactics and immigration. Is it out of control? But to start with, we want to hear from you on this new sugar tax. Does it represent yet another long, slimy tentacle of the nanny state wrapping itself around our loins? Or is it essential in order to protect the NHS from a diabetes epidemic when it's already crumbling to its knees? Give us a call and let us know what you think. 0835 We've got uh, Rory from Bicester on the line. Rory, sugar tax, are you for it or against it? I mean, what, what do you think we should do about it? Well, I'm not really sure. I, I was sitting in the car and heard you talk about this, and uh, I sort of felt rather confused in a way, because I remember when I was at school, I got a book, a pri- uh, you know, you get prize-giving for yes, things. Yeah. And I was, in, I was in a debating society at school, and I got given... A book I always remember. You had to go and choose the book, um, yeah. the book that you wanted as a prize, and then they'd put a little insignia thing on the inside to tell you the year that you'd won the prize and stuff. Anyway, yes. I, I, know, I never went uh, when I got the prize. Um, I got it, and it was just a random book. They'd selected a book for me, and the book was called Essex and Sugar. Essex and Sugar. I've never read it, though. <laughs> Never read it at all. But I've got nothing against sugar per se. Um, I mean, there definitely is a lot of sugar about now. Growing up, there was less sugar. Yes. Is that good? Is that bad? (laughs) Well, look, I'd just like to pull it back to the actual question here. Are you in favour of this sugar tax on confectionery items? Sugar tax? Yes, they're taxing the sugar. So they'll make you pay more for sugar? Maybe you do that anyway. I mean, my day, sugar was what? I mean, you'd be paying... I don't know, 10p for a box of cubies. Now, of course, it must be £3.20 a waitress. I mean, it's going up anyway with or without tax. So whether you tax it or not, it's pretty irrelevant. You don't think it makes any difference at all? I mean, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you there. It I make re- any difference to me because I'm, <laughs> I'm very wealthy. Well, congratulations for that. But don't you think this is actually just a tax on the poor? And why not? They don't pay much, do they? I mean, I earn a lot of money. I pay a lot of money. And the poor, it seems to me, never pay much tax. I mean, Rory, are you saying that, you know, poor people should pay a bit more money for their, their Twixes and their Mars bars? Absolutely, why not? I mean, it, they seem to have plenty of them, don't they, all the time? They're always drinking their the, the fortified ciders and smoking woodbines and wandering around, so why not pay some more if you can afford it? They're certainly not paying for their dress, are they, the way they wander Rory, around? Rory, I really think, you know, you need to, be, to pull this back to, to earth here. You're suggesting we tax the poor in order to use that money to give to the NHS. Well, why not? Cut out the middleman. <laughs> Well, Rory, thank you for your very controversial opinion, but that's what we're here for. I, I think tonight I shall go to the library and look at look try and find my ethics and sugar book, and if I find anything of interest, I'll ring you back. Well, Rory, look, it was a pleasure to have you on the show, and if you do find that book, please do give us a call back. We'd love to hear a few excerpts from that. Anyway, moving on, and we've got Kenny on the line from Cambridge. Kenny, what do you think about the sugar tax? Hi, I just wanted to talk a little bit about you know, the general prejudice are that's embedded within this policy. I've been suffering with a metabolic deficiency for, well, for about 12 years now, and I am currently 23 stone. Now, Mm. I used to eat a lot of sweets. And And, and what are your go-to snacks that you're eating? What are these sweets that you're consuming so much of exactly? Well, I'm a big fan of the Boost, big fan of the Crunchy. 
I have a lot of lion bars in storage, which are there for emergencies, Snickers, protein, king size, bounties, uh, you know, celebrations are a big favourite, good to have as a snack. Uh, I'll consume cereal bars. I mean, my main go-to is just a straight up, you know, Galaxy Carabel. Now, this tax, although it's only 8p on its chocolate bar, you know, that adds up to quite a lot of money over the, say, two years. So I'm essentially being taxed up to £1,000 a year just to you know, maintain my current level of mental health. But Kenny, wouldn't you agree that this sugar tax is there to dissuade you well, from switching? Yes, it's easy to say it dissuades you, and it has dissuaded me. It could be something that helps, I suppose, but ultimately I just feel targeted and afraid, and I don't feel... But the whole point of the tax, Kenny, is to try and help people get off the sugar and get their health back on track. Well, And, and, and when did it all begin for you? I mean, when did this sugar addiction start? For the first five or six years of my life, all I ate, on the whole, was lemon sherbet. Eventually I moved on to Freddo's, and later I moved on to the sugar strips, uh, which, you know, are still, you know, they still make up a big part of my Sorry, so diet. you're saying the sherbet lemons were a kind of gateway drug, but Kenny... Can't you see that the sugar tax has been implemented, although it's very facetious, to try and help people? I mean, don't you want to help anyone? Well, no, I want to help. I want to help. Do you, though? No, I'm Eric. Do you I want mean, to help no, people Eric. reduce their sugar? Eric. I mean, the problem is, Eric, that people like you just do not understand. I think I understand very well. What it's like to... Well, no, you don't, you don't understand. You don't understand, Eric, and you're not listening. I'm listening to you well, talk no, about Eric, sherbet I, lemons. I, I, yes, I, I, I'm terribly sorry, but you're being quite discriminated. Oh, come on now. That's, uh, uh, that's really unfair. I have listened to you, Kenny, and I'm afraid if you're going to talk over me, I'm just going to have to end your call there. And next up, we're going to be talking about Prince Andrew and the revelations that have come to light since the interview. Give us a call and let us know what you think about Prince Andrew and what really happened. See you after the break. You're listening to Massive Debate UK with Eric Swineblade. And now we're talking about Prince Andrew following the horrendous car crash interview. It really did chill many people to the core. Was he lying? Is this the end of the monarchy as we know it? Now, I've been told by my producers we have a personal former friend of Andrew on the line, Percival. Well, yes. Hello, Eric. And I'm calling really anonymously, actually. This is not my real name, but I did know... Andrew personally mm. is when I was in Marseille with Andrew and we were staying on the yacht belonging to a friend of Jeffrey Epstein I believe he was a Qatari Mithen Baron right and I found myself on this boat Andrew was out of control he yeah. was walking up to men and women yeah. and often touching them inappropriately, grabbing them, kissing them, licking yeah. them. He was really like a child in a candy shop, and nobody yeah. could say anything to him, of course. This but at one point, yeah. Andrew came up to me, and he grabbed my hand, and he held out a, a cooked tiger prawn. A prawn? Okay. And he grabbed me. The man was sweating. So 
profusely, beading, as it were, all over his forehead. Interesting, yeah. And he said, I want you to take this prawn, go into the kitchen, find the waitress with the brown hair, and I want you to take this prawn, and I want you to put the prawn... I can't really repeat it on well, the radio, but he asked me to that. put the prawn in her... Well, let's say, yeah. put it somewhere completely wrong that would have been a sexual crime. Yeah, of course, we, we don't know the details. I did take the prawn. I did go into the kitchen. Mm. But I, when I found the young lady in question, I said, listen, get off this yacht, get home, do not work for these people anymore. And I stayed outside that kitchen until we, we got back. It does hazard me somewhat to imagine what Andrew would have done if I hadn't been there and I hadn't got in the way of this spontaneous act of perversion. But it does go to show that the man was completely out of control oh, for around 15 years, which is probably why he doesn't remember a, a damn thing. Well, honestly, um, Percival, this was quite remarkable. No, well, uh, thank, thank you very much for your call. And genuinely, you know, good on you for bringing up Thank you, Percival. And, you know, hearing all that, it doesn't really shock you. You can almost see it. It does seem very believable indeed, even though we cannot verify what Percival has said is actually true, nor his actual identity. Anyway, uh, moving on, we've got another caller on the line. We've got uh, Katie on the line from Woking. Katie, how are you doing? No, I'm doing really well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. And wh what do you have to say about Prince Andrew and all of this? in 2001, right? And um, I was lucky enough to be working at Pizza Express Woking. Sadly, I'm not there anymore. I moved to the Zizis across the way because the toilets are just slightly nice. Wow. Yeah, like, but at the time, I was working in Woking Pizza Express. So you were working in Pizza Express at the time that Prince Andrew visited, and I suppose you're saying he, he was there. Was there anything unusual about that Pizza Express that Prince Andrew supposedly frequented? There's quite a unique layout. So you go in, right, and you've got the front section. It's quite narrow. At the time, this was no smoking. Then you come to the front section, and that's like got a conservatory vibe. Prince Andrew, as I remember, was in the conservatory vibe. Right. I was like, all oh, right, what's going on there? Like, does he really want to be seen or not seen? I just didn't know what was going on. Then at the back, you've got the kitchen, right? Next to the kitchen, you've got this bit, what I have never been in, right? Like, I'm not allowed in there. Most of us aren't allowed. To, well, I've never seen anyone go in there, really. And right. I was like, what is in that room? So that you're telling me there was some kind of, what, no access room in that Pizza Express in Woking? A kind of, was it not, not even for staff, just a door that was locked? It definitely wasn't for me. I've been working there like eight months. I've never been in there yet. So anyway, as the night's going on, I see, now this is no word to lie, Prince Andrew go into that room. No. I went, oh my gosh, like what's actually going on here? Like why is he going into that room? Like that's the room I don't go in. So you, you saw a, 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 a hidden room in a Pizza Express, the Pizza Express in Woking, and yeah. the only person you saw who could get into that room was Prince Andrew himself. I mean, this is massive. This is huge. So what I do, I'm like cashing up, and, and just before I'm closing up, I sidle down and go into that back room. I go to the door. I sidle along the back. I'm going to open this door. Press down the handle. Turns out it wasn't locked. I opened it. Yeah. 
it was the disabled toilet. A little bit of an anticlimax. I'll um, tell you what I think he was doing in there. Do you want to know? Well, what was he doing in the, in the disabled toilet? Having a wag. Are you saying that he was masturbating in the toilet or doing a wee? I'm not quite clear. Not quite what I was expecting, but um, after the break, Nigel Farage has stood down in a number of seats in order to help the Tories into power and attack Labour strongholds. As the election draws ever nearer, has Nigel Farage destroyed his own party and lost all credibility? Or is it a stroke of genius for a man who's only ever wanted one thing? Fool or 4D chess? Give us a call 08345 6060 See you after the break. You're listening to Massive Debate UK with Eric Swineblade. Is Nigel Farage doing an honourable thing? Should we give him a bit more credit for having some modesty? And we've got uh, Colin from Cheltenham on the line. Colin, what do you think about Nigel Farage and what he's doing? Hello? Hi. Yes, Colin, are you there? Yes, I'm on the radio. Yes, Colin, great. It's great to have you, uh, great to have you calling in. Um, I just want to know, yeah, what do you think about Nigel Farage? Is Farage he- is a great man. He's a great man. He's, he's, he's saved the country, but he's also a traitor. And this is, I'm, I'm angry at the moment. I just, I don't know. I've just, I was telling my wife, I don't know what to do with it. I mean, it. you've obviously clearly got very mixed feelings about Nigel. Uh, so you think he's... He saved this country. He took us out of a communist alliance. Mm. But I don't know what he's doing right now, but I think he's got a plan. And that's, that's, I think he's got a plan. So, I mean, you think what you think what he's done here is is heroic. Nigel Farage is the greatest British Englishman, and if we don't have more Englishmen like him, we're going to lose our country to the Germans and the French. Yes, I mean he's incredibly popular, and the Brexit Party's gone from strength to strength. And you think him standing down is just another example of that? Are you a member of the party yourself? I am a member. Yes, I am a member. Yes. Although I've just Farage owes me money now because I was standing here in Cheltenham, and then they've just stood us down. Um, so financially, I'm very angry at Farage. I see. He's a, he's, I'm, I'll be, it's confusing times at the moment, but this is the problem. It, they are trying to make us feel like this. The traitors in government, the, 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 the zombie parliament, mm. they're trying to, they're trying to, it's, 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 it's all their fault, basically. You blame the whole current situation on the Remainers, of course. On the Ramonas? Yes, the Ramonas and the Ramonas, the, the, the paralysed alliance of the SNP. Scum, I call them scum. And yet they're, like, they're worse than Germans. And you were saying you had, um, you had a kind of financial dispute with, with Mr Farage. Uh, what, what's going on there? It's not uh, a dispute. It's not a dispute. And this is where I don't want the fake news media to be spreading this round. I was going to stand for the Brexit party. Right. Then Farage made what I think is a very clever plan yeah. changing round, but it has left me out of pocket. Uh, so I'm financially I'm prepared to take that hit, but I'm also going to sue him. So originally Nigel had, uh, what, he'd, he'd put you standing against uh, Conservative and then he'd stripped, he stripped that away from you now and left you, really, he's, he's left you up the duff, as it Sorry, were. my wife's talking to me, my wife's talking to me. I'm on the radio. Sorry, my wife's shouting. Okay, just to be clear, Colin, at the beginning you were praising him. Are you saying you now don't like Nigel Farage? He's a traitor, he's a turncoat, he's like a German now. I mean, his name is French, it's Huguenot. He's a Catholic French. I, 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 well, of course, I'm struggling, really, really, really struggling to pin down what it is you actually believe here. The fake news wants you just to be yes, no, leave, stay, be, don't be. But it's not like that anymore. Mm. It's deeply interwoven. It's, there's a lot of, um, as you say, subtleties that have been lost. There's and- nothing subtle about this. The problem is this is what they want you to think. They want you to believe like that. And I can't do that anymore. Seems to me like you've really swallowed a bit of a black pill when it comes to what's going on in society I've had enough. Now. I'm doing martial art training right now. 
because that's the way we're going to have to survive. So you see, is this heading towards some kind of civil conflict over this issue? So we're going to have to fight on the street. Blood will be shed. Well, Colin, I mean, that's obviously quite incendiary and but very unlikely to happen. sue him because he owes me money. Financially, it's a disaster. Yes. You follow a Frenchman, you're going to be safe. You're going to get good wine, you're going to get food. But he's married to a German. So he's going to follow me, probably invade my garden. And then what? Colin, working class people Colin, in Cheltenham, Colin, and you'll see Colin, what it's all about. Colin, 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 Colin. If, if you're going to talk to me on my show like this, you know, I'm simply going to move on. You know, we, we've got to have some civil discourse. And it seems to me like you're, you're inc an incredibly angry man. Well, I've got to go anyway because I'm going to Gloucester right now. And Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Colin, for demonstrating just how paranoid and confused we have become as a country. My word. Uh, let's move on. After the break, we'll be talking about immigration. 10 million more people by 2035, according to official forecasts. Labour talking about increasing freedom of movement. Immigration. Is it out of control? Give us a call. 08345 You're listening to Massive Debate UK with Eric Swineblade. And we're talking about immigration. Are immigrants really essential to keeping this country going? Or... Is it going to tank the country? Can the NHS survive increases of this kind? Won't we need to spend more and more money to support the people who are letting in to create the growth in a vicious cycle that will ultimately end in chaos? And we've got Bill on the line from Plymouth. Bill, what are your Hello, thoughts? So, um, I'm just really ringing in. The history of our nation really is one of uh, immigration. Um, people look things like that, you know, three lions on a shirt, and you know, that's all, oh, how, how English, how English. Immigration has shaped continents. Um, but my point is this, the Brexit vote was the Brexit vote, and we have voted to um, stop immigration, and so we should abide by that in a democratic society. Bill. I support Reading Football Club. You know, I'd absolutely be honoured if a, a Reading Football Club player came over mine for Christmas dinner. I'd be aghast if the whole 28-man squad showed up, because I wouldn't have the resources. It doesn't make me anti-Reading. And so what, would you, what kind of numbers would you like to see, Bill, coming in per year? What, what would be an acceptable number of migrants for you? 4,000. 4,000? 4, 4, All of them absolutely top of their game. Because why let in anyone else? Well, look, thanks a lot, Bill. We're going to leave that call there. You've obviously uh, put some thought into what you think about all of this, but uh, let's move on. I've just heard from my producers that we have a real-world illegal immigrant currently working in the UK on the line, going under the name of Garrick. Garrick, are you, th are you there? Can you tell us about your work? Well, I'm working in the, ex in the just outside of Exeter, and I pick on the cherry-picking, cherry-picking. It's not cherries, though. And you, you say um, you're here illegally. How long have you been in the UK? It sounds like your English is quite good. Yes, well, we are taught quite well at school, and I grew up watching our friends. But I, okay. But I've been here for nine months now. Where, where are you living at the moment, Garrick? Are you in, a, in some kind of shared accommodation? Do, uh, is it somewhere hidden? Yes, I share accommodation with uh, 12 men in a five-bedroom house. It is very comfortable, but very cold. Do you feel like living in a hostile environment for people like you? Well, then, uh, people were friendly, but when I came to the country, I, I was walking on what I thought was just the land of the country, but... It was actually a man that land and he shot his gun at me with his dog. You were shot at? I was shot at and the dog was barking at me with his two dogs very, very, very angry. And so I got into a barn and I went and he hid on the top of a uh, stack of uh, uh, high bale. And um, I, stayed, I stayed there for about um, four days. Four days? You were in a barn 
for four days. And what, how, how did you survive in, in the barn? Did you find a source of water? Or? There was water, yes, because the drip from the, um, the, the, the pipe on the, the collect from roof. And then I, in that time I go, I was there um, on the floor for a chicken. And so, yeah, so Garrick, Garrick, I'm just, a, you, you, how did you, did you eat the chicken completely raw? No, I did not eat the chicken. I eat the chicken pellet from the floor for the chicken. Well, thank God for that. I mean, that really would have been something else. I'm... So the next day I ate the chicken. Oh, you did eat the chicken? The next day. I, because... And Garrick, obviously you survived the, the four days. How, how did you eventually escape? He found me and gave me the job on the farm picking the berries. I see. I'm right. So in a way, this was really your kind of your entry point into the world of work. Yes. Well, I owed him because I had eaten his chicken. Well, I suppose, you have you paid back the chicken yet? or? I've, I've, I've paid back the chicken. And I've had a little bit for myself now. And uh, actually, the other day, I bought myself a chicken. Well done. I mean, finally, you could actually afford to buy a safe chicken, you know, from the supermarket and, and eat it normally. Well, look, Garrick, I really do hope that you do find a way of getting citizenship. And I don't know where you come, you came from, and I won't inquire. You know why? I cannot say because of my crimes. Crimes. Recent crimes. But I can tell you that the struggle I've gone through to come here... I deserve it, you know? I think you do too, Garrick, and I really, I do wish you all the best. We've got James on the line from Mansfield. James, what are your thoughts on immigration? I just want to bring in to just, uh, I suppose, shine a ray of light into the conversation. I think, you know, there's a lot of negativity regarding um, immigration. You know, listen, here's a little fact for you. Albert Einstein was German and invented the atomic bomb. Now, if they didn't have a problem with Jews, they would have had the atomic bomb and won a bomb and won the Second World War. It was because he was Jewish, he was kicked out, and lo and behold, you know, at the expense of roughly about a quarter of a million Japanese people, the war was ended thanks to him. Now, that was immigration. I'm very pro-immigration. I mean, where, where, do we, where does it all end? What, what do you think the maximum population density of the UK can or should be before we enter, really, the breakdown of society and you know massive inequality, unfairness, and an NHS that just can't cope. Fifty-fifty. So you know, like for every Englishman, there should be a foreigner to balance it out. Well, I don't know. I hear what you're saying there. You're, you're suggesting that we should be both a British country and a host country for the world. If you took all the water out of the world, right, you'd realise that all of our countries are actually just part of the same big block of land. We're all one country. Well, James, um, tell me, did you go to a school with immigrants? Do you live in an area with lots of people from different parts of the world? I mean, well, I went to school with a, a, a kid called Guy Hamp under a gala. Uh, he was an, he was a kid of an immigrant, and that. And uh, I bullied him at first, and that because you, you bullied him, yeah. Well, sort of. Uh, not because of anything to do with that. It's because he was just a little, quite a little. He was a little git. Right, so it's more of r rubbing him up the the, the normal way. Not based on his race. No, not yeah. based on his race. Come on. No, Just because no, he was—he was a smaller child, right? Okay. He was, small, he was like a small kid, and uh, you know, he wasn't ginger, but he could have been. You know what I'm saying? It was that sort of feeling when you looked at him as a kid. Yeah. And, um, obviously, those stand out and that. Anyway, he became a good friend of mine later on because he got quite big and cool, and uh, you know, very naturally good looking. And uh, so, not that uh, you know, I swing that way or anything, but you do tend to gravitate towards that um, in order to you know, bolster your own sort of image and in school did he, he forgave you for the bullying then you know I'm from a part of the world where you just brush stuff like that off really and you know you sort of give it give it just a little smack round the cheek and then you pals again you know we're not what, really... do you still know each other uh, no, no he, he died oh dear I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that uh, no it's all right. 
No, he's a, he was a good friend on that, but I, I didn't see him for ten years. And uh, apparently, he uh, a wall fell on him. Just, just so that I, I've got no more information than that. Just a wall fell on him. Dear God, that's terrible. I'm uh, I'm so sorry to hear that about your friend. That's that's terrible, and um, a rather unfortunate metaphor, really, given the um, given the subject matter. But uh, in a way, did that that experience transformed your how you felt about immigrants? Do you think? No, not really. I think I was pretty much had my mind made up in year five. Right. Well, James, thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to the Massive Debate UK, improvised and performed by Thomas Gray and Daniel Barker. With special guests Dom Jolly and Emma C.D. 